Welcome to another episode of Confessions of a Christian Kid. My name is Christopher David Gray. We are cutting through religion to find the true Christ and exploring the mystical side of Christianity. In this episode, I'm going to be sharing part two of my deconstruction of faith story, which has a lot to do with being confronted with the idea of love and realizing that in my life and in my faith up to that point, love had been sorely lacking because my focus had been so much on this legalistic view of Christianity and doing everything right that I had become a Pharisee, right? And part of that persona, the fruit of that persona, not because I wanted this, but one of the byproducts of trying to be a perfect Christian is being judgmental of others. Even if it's not a negative or vindictive kind of judgment, for me, it was this constant awareness of other people's shortcomings in my eyes. Oh, you're not living up to the same standard that I am. And just constantly seeing it everywhere and having this conflict with that, right? So before I go any further, I want to just revel in the fact It feels so amazing for me to be kind of coming out of the closet, sharing my deconstruction of faith story, talking about all of these thoughts and processes that I kept hidden from people for a long time, not truly able to share my experience. And also, I was just thinking right before I hit record that how amazing that I can record something like this and literally broadcast it all over the world for anybody who wants to tune in. It's just astounding. You know, I was listening to somebody, I can't remember who it was, on a podcast just mentioning how profound the advent of YouTube and podcasts are, that this is literally the new printing press. This is the new way of disseminating ideas from one person to another. And now with this platform, it's just astounding. I'm just realizing the potential. As I spend a lot of time on YouTube listening to spiritual teachers and podcasts, I am fully appreciating the value of this medium. It is just astounding. So, Deconstruction of My Faith, Part 2. All right, I left off in the last story speaking specifically about that embarrassing failure I had getting fired from that job, but also, of course, turned out to be a very good thing because it helped me to make a clean break from that legalistic arm of Christianity, that organization, the Bill Gothard thing. It truly was a clean break in my mind, and I completely switched gears to trying to find God in a more authentic way, and I became more aware of love. And as I mentioned before, I was actually attending a charismatic church. And this was a funny thing, right? Because here my parents are very legalistic, and I told you that I wasn't allowed to even attend our youth group for a while, mostly because of worldly rock music, right? But in our church, the main service of our church on Sunday mornings, There was drums and there was rock and roll music being used to worship. I remember my parents talking about how they wanted to leave this church because they thought it was too worldly, right? And they're probably feeling the same kind of conflict that I was. Like you try to live your life to a higher standard 
and you just can't help but notice people who aren't living to that standard. And if you truly buy into the fact that this is a higher standard, in other words, God prefers this over the other, it's impossible not to have this sort of subconscious judgment going on, like constantly being aware of higher and lower standard. And I remember my parents talking about how they actually prayed about it. They said, leaving this church, but they always felt like God wanted them to stay there. And for me, at this time of my life, when I'm breaking away from the legalistic part of Christianity, I started leaning more on our church and this charismatic kind of Christianity and started realizing this is a more authentic idea of going directly to God, like a relationship to God. Finding God, experiencing God, worshiping God, not worshiping rules, not going to rules in order to please God, right? Which reminds me a lot of the children of Israel who came out of Egypt into the wilderness and seemed to have this idea that, I don't know, it's almost like they're thinking, oh, we got we to gotta get this Ten Commandments thing nailed down before we're allowed to go into the promised land, which was actually not, according to the narrative, wasn't God's plan in the first place. But I started seeing that instead of essentially worshiping these rules in order to please God, this charismatic sort of Christianity was like, hey, we're going straight to God. It's not about rules. This is about worshiping a loving Heavenly Father. It was really interesting. Right around this time, there was a phenomenon that kind of swept through the charismatic arm of Christianity known as the Toronto Blessing. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but if you haven't experienced charismatic church, let me just describe my church a little bit, just so you get an idea of what it was like. So this was a church that was founded largely by hippie cowboys in the mountains of California, and it was non-denominational. Worship was really important. People like to dance. They're speaking in tongues. You know, people were into prophesying. It was cool to me because comparing it to the Bill Gothard legalistic thing, I mean, this is actually arguably closer to what you see in the Bible, right? I mean, people who are praying for miracles and and having what they call manifestations of being filled with the Holy Spirit and things like that. So this is a really interesting time in my faith because latching onto this, it started to feel a little more authentic to me. Anyway, this Toronto blessing happened. So apparently there was some church in Toronto that had some kind of revival experience. In other words, kind of described like in the book of Acts, if you're familiar with the book of Acts, where Jesus leaves and he tells his disciples, go up into the upper room and then I'm going to send my spirit. And they did that and something crazy happened to them. According to the narrative, the mighty wind came in. They all started speaking in tongues and got filled with the Holy Spirit, right? So for me, after hanging out with all these Bill Gothard people, where none of this stuff is present, but then looking at the Bible and saying, this is actually a huge part of Christianity. If you're a follower of Christ, you can't ignore the fact that he told his disciples, hey, wait, I'm going to send my spirit. And what's really interesting is that whole dynamic, right, of they were with Jesus in the flesh, but didn't have the spirit. Jesus leaves and he sends his spirit. I mean, I'm not talking about whether this is actually true or not. Again, at this point in this conversation, I'm coming from this, a point of, hey, if you're calling yourself a Christian, then what does the Bible actually say? That's where I'm really coming from at this point in my life, at this current point in my life, and also this point in my life that I was talking about. 
Okay, if you're going to say you follow the Bible, then the Bible absolutely talks about miracles and being filled with the Spirit and speaking in tongues and prophesying and all of this stuff. This is biblical stuff, right? So what was interesting to me, it was this kind of going from one extreme to another, but it wasn't actually because I'd been attending this church basically all through my Bill Gothard years. So it acted kind of like a grounding rod to me. Because I felt like the people in this charismatic church were more grounded, which is ironic because, you know, my parents were so much about the teaching of the word. This is what the Bible says. Principles, right? Right living, morality. And that's what Bill Gothard emphasized, like doing things right. But what I started seeing is, wait a second, this charismatic kind of Christianity actually seems more grounded in a sense because it has its roots in the scripture, Right? I mean, if we're doing this Christian thing and we're never having any kind of experience of God, then we're probably doing it wrong. And I look back at my time in Indianapolis with the Bill Gothard people and I'm like, what spirit was there? I didn't, there wasn't love and joy and peace. There was all kinds of guilt and shame and confusion and all kinds of stuff like that. So here I am at this time in my life, the Toronto blessing. Apparently there was this church in Toronto that had some sort of outpouring of the Spirit, kind of like the upper room experience in the book of Acts. So some of the people from our church went up there to like get this Toronto blessing and they brought it back to us and they were acting really weird. These people were like convulsing and laughing uncontrollably and doing all this weird stuff. And I was really intrigued by it. But again, here I am a seeker of truth my mindset is still very much, I believe the Christian narrative, I believe the Bible, I believe this. I'm able to break away from the legalistic arm because I go to the Bible and I can see clearly that that was misguided. Now I'm encountering this very charismatic manifestations of the Spirit or whatever this weird thing is, but I can also go to the Bible and I can see evidence of it. So in my seeking of truth, I'm going to receive this. I'm going to participate in this. If I call myself a Christian, I have to believe in this. I have to believe that this is possible. When the people from our church came back and they were having all these weird experiences and acting really strange, it feels weird, right? I felt like my natural human instinct was kind of distance myself from these weird people because, I mean, it's like, are they faking it? Is it, is this real? I remember this one guy who was he was an elder in our church and he was a really well-respected guy and he was up talking in front of the church and he was having these convulsions where his stomach was contracting apparently and he kept, as he was talking, uncontrollably doing this. And this guy was a very well-respected member, not only of our church, but of our community. And so I'm thinking, I don't think he's faking it. I don't think that he's doing this on purpose. This is really curious to me. And so at this point in our church's history, people started coming to church a lot more. I remember the night services at our church, Sunday night services, which had been sparsely attended. Like nobody in this community really goes to church on Sunday night. There was always a service, but I mean, it was, I mean, maybe 10% of the congregation. It was really sparse. I mean, my family didn't even always attend Sunday nights there. But during this Toronto blessing thing, Sunday nights were off the hook. What we would do in this auditorium that I think sat, how big was this church? I think it sat three or 400 people. Something like that. That that sounds about right. And what they do is clear out all of the chairs out of this church. They put lines with masking tape because what was happening is everybody would line up and then the pastor and all these people who had this Toronto blessing thing would come 
and pray for people. And then people would get what they called slain in the spirit, kind of pass out. Um, it was really strange. But then people would be on the ground and they would be convulsing and laughing and crying. And I mean, just weird shit, right? I mean, I had experience like this and I was really open to it. And I have to, okay, so I have to be honest with you because I've thought about this quite a bit. The experience I had, I believe was genuine. I mean, I desperately wanted to experience. I was really open to it. Because I remember recently having a conversation with my best friend at the time who also got prayed for and he didn't feel anything. And for him, this is sort of a catalyst of like, oh, this is all fake and, you know, I don't believe in God. And he left the church at a really early age. But for me, like I said, I was naturally really drawn to spirituality. So the experience I had was, I mean, a few times, like getting prayed for and then just sort of feeling faint or whatever and falling down. I remember this one experience, which really sticks out in my mind, where instead of falling backwards like most people, I fell forward. And this lady in our church said, oh, that's told my parents, oh, that's a sign that he's going to be a leader because leaders fall forward. I mean, it's cool. I loved hearing that. And I already was, you know, a leader in our youth group. But it was sort of like, okay, well, where did that come from? Does the Bible say that if you're slain in the spirit falling forward, then you're a leader? It was a really interesting time because I'm, my mind is still like completely turned on and trying to be logical and reasonable, but also having to admit to myself that if I believe in the Bible and what it says, then I have to be open to this. I need to be open to this. And I'm seeing the value of it. And at this church, right around this time too, I remember I was having some health issues. I was having this problem of standing up and being really lightheaded and almost blacking out. And it got really bad. And I went up for prayer one time and one of the elders in our church prayed for me. It was really getting serious. It was happening a lot. And after I was prayed for, I never felt this sensation, never got faint, never got dizzy from standing up ever again in my life. When you have an unexplainable change in your experience like that, which corresponds with a very definitive intention to seek healing, to seek answers, and you have someone who prays for you, and it's a kind of ritualistic, very memorable experience, it's very difficult to deny that. I didn't go to a doctor. I went to my church and I got prayed for and I was completely healed of this thing that was really starting to freak me out. I mean, I figured it was had something to do with blood sugar. And so, you know, I was avoiding eating sugar and I was, you know, doing things that I could do to, to help myself get better. That was a very grounding experience for me in my, in my faith in God in my faith that there's something about this God, Bible, Jesus thing that in my experience, I would have at that point a very difficult time dismissing all of this. You know, and I remember my, my parents' attitude towards this whole Toronto blessing, slain in the spirit thing was, was very skeptical. But I began to see really clearly people have a tendency to swing one way or the other as extremes. And I just saw really clearly, these are two extremes. They're not, not actually in opposition to each other. And these ideas of Christianity being either super conservative and legalistic or crazy charismatic, 
where it was almost like in my church, people weren't even interested in preaching the word anymore because they just wanted to have this experience with God, like this feel good experience. Neither of those things are wrong. What I was beginning to realize is these things are not mutually exclusive. They're both important, right? It's like saying, should I worship God with my mind or should I worship God with my heart? What we're going to discover as we go down this road is realizing this whole idea of heart, soul, mind, and strength is really just about creating unity, oneness within yourself, having a single focus to eliminate these types of swings in our life, eliminate this, oh, I'm a legalist. Oh, now I'm a charismatic. And being able to see those things and realizing the power of getting my mind and my heart to be synchronized and focused. That's truly the goal. And it's not just a, oh, God is happy with me thing. No, I am going to be a more successful human being if I learn to synchronize my mind and my heart and focus both of them on my desired goal. At this time, I was back living with my parents. I joined my siblings working seasonally at the local ski resort. We grew up in the mountains of California, Sierra Nevada mountains, and I took a job as a ski instructor. And at this time, I'm still trying to finish my law studies and get that done. After the first year, you have to take what's called the first year law students exam in California before you're allowed to continue. It's nicknamed the baby bar because it's basically a, a one day bar exam. So I was studying for all that. But as I was doing that, I was working with my siblings at a ski resort and close to our house. And it was super fun. Remember how in the last part of my story, I talked about how Bill Gothard was so much about God doesn't want you to have fun. Fun is folly. People are going to hell. We need to stay focused. This is serious business. And here I am now working as a snowboard instructor. I had a strange relationship with this job at first because I almost felt guilty because up until this point in my life, I had been on this trajectory to be this super serious, perfect civil servant Christian leader guy who wears a suit and studies law and is super respected in the community. And snowboard instructor would not have fit into that plan. So here I am doing something that was so much fun. And realizing that at the time of my life, stepping away from this legalistic idea of who God is and looking at my life at that point, being a snowboard instructor, having so much fun doing it, thinking, huh, or maybe God isn't what I thought he is because I'm doing this job and I feel really good about it. The other very significant thing about me working in a ski resort was this was not a Christian environment, right? I was a homeschooled, sheltered kid who thought that rock and roll was from the devil. And now I'm working at a ski resort. As you can imagine, people who work at ski resorts have a reputation of being very free-spirited. Myself and my siblings were not the only Christian kids that were working at this ski resort. There was a contingent of ski and snowboard instructors who had come from Australia. Because Australia, of course, is in the Southern Hemisphere. So these instructors from Australia were chasing the perpetual winter. They would winter in Australia and then winter in California. So they were really serious about their craft. They were very good. They kind of ruled the ski school because a lot of us were like local yokels who maybe weren't so serious about it. I mean, being a ski instructor is hard to be super serious about it because it's seasonal, right? You can't do it year round. I actually got serious about it. I ended up getting certified as a ski instructor, had to take a test. And it was, it was amazing because I had actually done a lot of snowboarding up until that point and 
becoming instructor, I got educated on how to actually ride this board, that there were people who were actually figuring out how does a snowboard work and what's the best way to ride it. And it was really interesting, this education. I became a really good snowboarder. Anyway, going back to these Australians, they were party animals. And I ended up partying with them sometimes. And this, you have to imagine, like, this is so awkward for me, right? Because I'm so sheltered. And at the time, I'm working with the youth group at our church. So I'm really having conflict, but I'm just feeling this pull of freedom and enjoying this freedom and stepping away from this idea of God is going to be mad at me if I do bad stuff, you know, and I was sick of just being so afraid of living my life that I avoided having fun. I had avoided my whole life hanging out with people who weren't Christians. And so this was a really interesting eye-opening time of my life. I remember going bar hopping sometimes, karaoke. But there was this one party that I went to the first time I ever got drunk. And it was really significant in my life. And it was significant because it was sort of public. My sister worked with these people. My sister wasn't at this party, but she heard from other people that her brother was there. And he got drunk. And he threw up. And... And so also my dad ended up hearing about it. The important thing that I want to point out about this part of my story is how I really truly started seeing that my dad really truly loved me. Let me talk a little bit about my dad. My dad was an army brat. His dad was in World War II and then later got called back to Germany. So my dad actually grew up part of his childhood living in Germany. He was born in Oklahoma. My grandfather moved he, my grandmother and his brother to Southern California. My dad later was a first lieutenant in the United States Army and spent time in Vietnam and Korea. He was a insurance agent when I was a kid. I just remember about my dad, who was very charismatic, fun guy. I mean, we had people at our house a lot. Backyard barbecues, he had a guitar out and he was singing silly songs. He was just a really funny guy who was full of life. One of the interesting stories I remember about my dad is he finally decided after decades that selling insurance was not suited for him. And he kind of quit his job because my mom at the time had started working. I remember he got a job working at an engineering firm because these guys who owned this business had met my dad through youth soccer and liked him so much that they literally created a position for my dad. So that gives you an idea of who my dad is and how cool he was and how charismatic. But he was also very strict, right? He was an army guy. He was trained in officer's candidate school. It was funny is we would accuse my dad of being mean. Oh, you're not letting us go to youth group. You're not letting us do this. You're making us do all this stuff. And we, you know, we complain about it. And he would say, yeah, I'm going for the meanest dad of the year award. How am I doing? And I just remember about my dad, he had this way of just unapologetically speaking his truth and doing what he thought was right. And now I translate that as, you know, let your yes be yes and your no be no, right? And there's something I really respected about that, even though I didn't always uh, agree with him. But anyway, so my dad finds out that I got drunk at this party and he invites me out to lunch. And I'm like bracing myself for, you know, some sort of lecture. He's going to get mad at me or whatever. And I just remember him looking at me very compassionately saying, oh, so I heard this happen. Are you okay? How do you feel about that? What are you going to do different next time? You know, by this time I was 21 years old and he had made it clear to me that you're an adult now. So my relationship to you is different. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm, but if you want my counsel, I can help you. 
And he said that even at times when I was back living at home, he still considered me an adult and wasn't going to tell me what to do. You can have your freedom, do whatever you want. But anyway, I remember the impact of this event with my dad was so significant to me because I just felt like, oh, wow, my dad loves me. And this is really significant to me because having grown up with all of that legalistic right and wrong, do the right thing mentality, what it lends itself to in the back of your mind and your subconscious is I have to do this stuff in order for God to like me or love me. And also with my parents, right? My parents are only happy with me if I do these things. And for me, because I was so good at doing those things is because I was so good at being the perfect kid. It was a really interesting thing to become aware of that I had not really allowed my parents love into my heart, so to speak, or not really believed in my parents love because there was this layer I felt between us. I truly felt like my parents only love me or only like me because I'm this perfect kid. And I didn't really become aware of that until I had this conversation with my dad. I committed, you know, one of the worst sins of my life and it was kind of embarrassing for him, I'm sure. You know, and that was kind of a theme in, in the past with when we were really legalistic. It was like, don't embarrass me. Um, but this time he was looking at me and it wasn't about him. He wasn't saying you embarrass me or well, how could you do this or whatever. It was just, it just felt like love and concern. And he's my dad and he's trying to help me out. And it really helped to flip a switch in me to understand largely what I had missed in my ideas about how life works, about God, about my parents, about other people. To me, up to that point, it had not been about love. It had been about doing the right thing and being very much in my head and very disconnected from my heart. Another incident from this time in my life that relates to love was really significant. My sister and I, who were both kind of interning with our church, she was the intern for the children's ministry. I was the intern for the youth group. We went down to Southern California, well, our whole family did, to go to my cousin's wedding. But because we were on the church payroll, we really felt like we needed to be at church the next day. The wedding was on a Saturday. So she and I drove back after the wedding, like through the night. And I can't remember, we got in an argument. We're <laughs> So we've been driving, we're almost home. We're literally only like 20 minutes from home. And we get in this really crazy argument. And I was saying some really mean things to her and just being rude. And, and I remember just like stopping. And it's almost like I had this out of body experience where I'm, I stopped what I was doing and I observed myself and I was so sickened by the way that I was talking to her and treating her and like all this ugliness that was coming out of me that I just said, pull over the car. I'm so sick of myself right now. I, I have to get away from you. I have to get away from, I have to step out of the car. And anyway, I got out of the car. It's, I don't know what, two o'clock in the morning. Nobody's out mountain community. I'm about, I don't know, 10 miles from my house. And, but it was so, it was a, <laughs> Thinking about it now, it was probably one of my most profound revelations, spiritual experiences, where I saw so clearly this fruit of my previous legalistic view of Christianity just spewing out of me and realized that I was in a self-righteous way, was being so rude to my sister. And I think I even said it out loud to her. I'm like, 
oh my God, if I can't even love my own sister, then what good am I? And I got out of the car and she was protesting, of course. It was a huge epiphany for me. And what I did is I ended up walking through the night. It was like December. It was pretty cold and I wasn't even wearing a jacket. What I did is I walked to our church because I knew that our church had an open door. Underneath the parsonage at our church was a prayer room that was open 24 hours a day. So I wasn't going to walk all the way to our house, but I was going to walk to this prayer room. And I'm like, well, I got to go to church tomorrow, this morning in a few hours anyway. And I'm, I'm coming from a wedding, so I already kind of look churchy. Anyway, I'm walking up this mountain road. The elevation from where I started walking to where I ended up was like a thousand feet. So I'm walking uphill most of the way. And I'm trying to remember it may, my, my memory is, is bad, but it's somewhere between five to 10 miles. And I just walked and just contemplated just looking at myself and realizing, dude, you think you're such hot shit. You think that you're such a good Christian and you're better than other people, but Look at what is coming out of you towards your own sister. If you can't even love your own sister, how are you supposed to love others? And arguably the number one most important part of this whole Christian thing, being a good Christian, that was my identity. My identity was being a good Christian boy. Being a good Christian boy, and what's really interesting is like right now, with the help of my life coach and my therapist and meditation, I'm realizing that that identity is still vibrating in me. Good Christian boy. I mean, it's kind of funny that I called this podcast Confessions of a Christian Kid, right? I'm not a kid, but it was almost subconscious. It was almost like I still feel in some sense, the need to fulfill that identity, being good, Christian, kid. And at that point in my life, this story with my sister, I realized there's something way, way off, man. You went on this trajectory, you know, you were already stepping away from it. And maybe this is, you know, what was happening was like this stuff from that legalistic time of my life was just surfacing and, and kind of like barfing it out, so to speak. Anyway, so I made it to the church and I slept in the prayer room and it was a fascinating time. I learned also something very practical about myself that I think very well when I'm walking, especially when there's nobody else around, when I can be completely isolated if I'm walking, especially in nature, like these are mountain roads. It's an amazing experience for me. I had so much clarity at that time. It was, it was amazing. But just to kind of wrap this up, it really was a significant time in my life, this transition from being legalistic to trying to find my freedom, realizing that just being a good Christian kid was not the only thing that I needed to focus on in, in order to be a successful human. In other words, like this idea of good Christian kid was this very narrow sphere of awareness and in my experience, even being a snowboard instructor and how much fun that was and how much I learned through that experience helped me to realize like, man, this whole idea that I was sold of being this good Christian kid, specifically this, this super legalistic abstaining Christian is so small and failed me so much and that I needed to broaden my awareness. I need to be 
a human being living as a human being with other human beings and not just cowering in this Christian belief system and really truly begin to understand that maybe following Christ is not synonymous with being a good Christian and started getting the sense that if I continue to seek truth and really follow Christ, that I may actually end up following Christ out of the Christian church. And of course, that's what eventually happened. Thank you so much for spending your time with me. This is Christopher David Gray, Confessions of a Christian Kid, where we are cutting through religion to find the true Christ and exploring the mystical side of Christianity. Oh, by the way, I want to create some sort of platform where I can interact with you all more. Maybe start a Facebook page. I still am not on Instagram, honestly. I, um, I'm i kind of a reluctant social media person, but I would love to, to interact and I'd love to get feedback. I mean, of course, here I am like being vulnerable and telling my story. I would love to hear about your story. In my experience, as I've listened to other people tell their story, it's so liberating, right? To hear someone say something, admit to having an experience that is similar to yours. So look in the future, I'll let you know, I'll be probably starting a Facebook or Instagram or maybe both. Anyway, thanks for listening. Appreciate you.